What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Styles Files. I am your host, Alan Styles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Today we have, I'm very excited for this guest. Today we have celebrity chef, television host, and musician Roger Mooking on the show. Roger, thank you for joining. What's up, man? How you doing, boss? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, thanks for thanks for taking the time. I know things are crazy right now. I did want to say you as a musician, yeah. uh, I know you dropped an album in 2019, which seems like Forever. eons ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So as you can tell, very excited. Let, let's just get right into it. I want to talk about how you got into food. When did it turn into a career? And when did it turn into a television career? But before you start, I did want to bring up the fact that I saw that you were born in Trinidad. My great grandparents were actually from Barbados. So it's Caribbean love. Family too. My other side of my family is Barbados. There you go. So after that, my, my great grandparents went to Panama to help with the canal. So that's kind of how that started. Then my mom was born in Panama, all that good stuff. So I couldn't start the interview and not bring that up. Yeah, word. That's crazy, man. Yeah, no, my, my grand, on my grandmother's side, her maiden name was Calida. Which, mm -hmm. as you know, in Barbados is a very regular uh, West Indian name. Right. It's like Smith out here or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but why don't you uh why don't you talk about how you got into food and you know, really I think a lot of people are interested in when you're a chef and when you get that, I guess obviously you have a personality and people notice that, but how does that flip kind of happen from I'm a chef and now I'm on TV, you know, doing it through a television scope? Yeah, well, I, I think everybody's TV trajectory is different. If I talk to everybody on TV that I know from Bobby Flay to Eddie Jackson, everybody kind of has a different trajectory. But for mm -hmm. me, I started out, I'm third generation food and beverage person. My grandfather came from China in the 1920s. He was looking for El Dorado. He ran out of money in Trinidad. So he ended up in Trinidad. He fell in love with a black Trinidadian woman there, had my father and all that family. And so my grandfather, he was penniless and just worked hard and grinding, grinding, scratched up some money. He opened a little bakery uh, that was a, a famous bakery in Trinidad at the time uh, called Lushu Bakery. Mm -hmm. That was my father, grandfather's bakery. And my, my father and that whole side of the family came up, you know, like raising chickens under the house, bringing right. eggs, the, my, my, my uh, grandmother, bless her soul she uh ran that grocery store and that and that bakery you know so and they all the kids came up in it my dad owned a restaurant for 20 years um and then i came up from three years old i knew i wanted to be a chef and then i came up in that mix of just honoring the lineage of what my family's been doing and uh you know at 15 i started working in restaurants and all that and I would take all my money from restaurants and go to the recording studio so I did that for a long time and then music took off for a long time right. and I did that exclusively and like played with the Roots in Central Park and Celine Dion and uh, Busta Rhymes, Tribe Called Quest, etc, etc, etc. The TLC, bless you know, bless TLC. Um, so all that stuff and then you know I kind of, the, the industry of music if you know about it is just dirty, dirty, dirty. So right. I was like trying to do deals that people are doing now that they weren't doing back then because they had it on lock. So mm -hmm. I'm like, through this, I love making the art, but the, 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 the business is horrible. So I went back deep into school, man. I like, you know, I won, went from winning like Canadian Grammy to 
shucking oysters and making salads in a restaurant yeah. and going straight to culinary school. So I did culinary school full-time. I did restaurants full-time simultaneously. I busted my ass, um, graduated top of my class, did all that, came out of there and I just went through, you know, like everybody, hotels, different restaurants, catering companies, blah, 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 blah. And over time I, 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 got my first executive chef job and that happened to be around the corner from where food network in canada was launching i live in canada in toronto got it so it was around the corner from where food network was launching maybe you know 10 15 years ago 20 years ago whatever it was um and that just kind of popped off and, and they used to come in because they were launching the channel they used to come in all the time because they were working like 16 18 hours a day they're not, not going to go home and cook right? right so they used to come in like three four times a week and i just knew them as holly and tanya i didn't know who they were i just would go talk to customers and like they were just cool peoples after about a year they and I, I had kind of decided that I just wanted a simple life. I had done like all the music and press, all that stuff. I wasn't, I was like not into it. I just want a simple life, mm-hmm. cook in my restaurant, go home, sleep with my girl, wake right. up, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, but they came holler at me, and like after about a year, they introduced, they said, Yo, we work for the Food Network, and you know, we come here all the time. We like your personality, you're very friendly, the food is really good. We think you should do some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, Okay, but I was very reluctant, bro. I, I just was not really with it. And but they were nice people, so I was like, you know, they seem cool, so let me go kick it. So after a, a few times back and forth, and they come to me with some ideas I didn't like it, and they'd be like, Who's this guy? Like saying turning down our shit, like and then I just they stopped calling me after about a year. And then a, a couple of years later, I opened my very first restaurant in Toronto, kind of a famous restaurant in Toronto called Cultura. Mm-hmm. And that restaurant, they happened to be dining in the restaurant one day. And I was come out the kitchen. I was walking around saying hi to customers like I always did. And there was Holly and Tanya again. Right. And they're like, what are you doing here? This is your restaurant. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing in my restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> And they said, look, you know, I'm glad that stuff didn't work out before. We do things differently now. And if you want to holler, holler at me, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was kind of a different headspace. I was a little bit more adventurous. So I was like, ah, let me mess with them. We uh, talked. I met this, the great head of programming there. We hit it off really, really well. Turns out the head of programming of Food Network at the time used to book my band on TV shows back in the day (laughs) right small world this is crazy so we hit it off and uh before you know it a couple years later we launched uh with this this homie of mine al mcgee we launched this show called everyday exotic that popped off in canada we did uh uh, 52 episodes of that then we started selling that around the world and then america opened cooking channel and they needed content and they bought everyday exotic and ever since then, uh, it's just been popping off, man. And uh, I, I've been working with uh, the American team. Yeah. Wow. Since. That's crazy, man. That, I mean, you're, you're completely right. Everyone's story is different, you know, yeah. whether it's a competition or just random locations where you just happen to be. But that's really awesome. You know, let's fast forward. Now, well, first of all, I just wanted to say you picked two of the kind of hardest industries to be in, you know, music and food. So you were just, you just wanted to grind. You just wanted to grind no matter what. I just love making stuff. Right. And right. I had an aptitude for making records and I had an ear for it mm-hmm. and I had an aptitude for cooking. Like I've been cooking ever since I know myself first right. memories. I, I can remember of myself as standing at the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So I realized that I just love to make things and I just dedicated my life to, to making things, man. And here we are just, 
making things, you know? Right, right. Now, let's fast forward to where you are now, Man Fire Food, one of my favorite shows. And before I even start on my question, I just wanted to say your two, two of your shows, Man Fire Food and Man's Greatest Food. For me, to be completely honest, that hits in a different way because the idea of man and that word man and when most people hear that especially even probably definitely man fire food you're thinking of a big burly white guy you know man fire food you know and i just think for you to get those keys and be the man in that situation gives people like me hope and i'm sure a lot of people that look like us hope as well because this idea of, and obviously you're Canadian, but you know, ooh, like um, just the whole idea of man, I just find really refreshing to hear a name like that and see someone like you because we are men too. But I think when you think man, fire, food, grill, da 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 da, a lot of times you think of a white guy, you know, to be completely honest. Yeah, you know. I've been hearing that more and more, you know, for the last couple of years, more and more people coming, yo, it's so nice to see uh, somebody that looks like you on the channel. You go, you talk to everybody, you know, right. you talk to Thai people, Vietnamese people, white people in the South, black people. And that's always been my, you know, even everyday exotic days, my whole thing was food is, just, I use, I love cooking food. Don't get it twisted, mm -hmm. right? But food has always been a tool for me. It's just a vessel. It's right. a tool to, to force communication between people, right? Mm -hmm. So food, I could sit at a table with you, don't know you. I don't know your language. I don't know your history. I don't know your emotional baggage. I don't know your mother. I don't know your sister. I don't know your children. We, we, we don't have to speak the same language. And we could sit at a table and eat food and there's a communication happening, right? right. So I realized the power of that in every sense, everyday exotic, that's why we mashed up like jalapenos in a lasagna. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Because that, it was just a vessel for me to be able to bring people and culture together through food. And I'm hearing that what you're saying a lot more is people have this expectation of when they hear man fire food and we're able to kind of shift that mental narrative. Cause you know, I think so many of us are out here and we are uh, conditioned by certain mindsets just because you're not accustomed to seeing imagery. You know, we just got the first Chinese superhero. Right, right. <laughs> and he's a Canadian too, he's a Canadian too, people. <laughs> But like, you know, it's just something that it, we, I, I take a great responsibility for it. And, you know, like at the end of the day, whether I like it or not, uh, as a black person who is a public figure, the world perceives that I have to take responsibility for the whole race in some ways. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. And although that's an unusual and unfair burden for me, and I have to take that with a grain of salt, I also take it very seriously. Right. So as I'm out in the world, just just me presenting that image, like you're saying, I think impacts, you know, you as an adult. But think of those little kids coming up. Right. 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 And it's like, yo, this guy's doing this and he's talking to these people and they're eating this food. I get with that. I just got the most touching, touching uh, DMs the other day, man. I met this homie named Jomo. Mm -hmm. He's out there. We just did an episode where this uh, ex-vet, Army Ranger, uh, came back with PTSD from 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 many 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 duties, um, 
And he started a farm because he needed to heal himself. And the farm was a way for him to slow down and meditate and really cure his spirit, right? right. Through food again, right? And so Jomo was watching it with his dad, who was an ex-army vet, and with his daughter. So it was three generations of people watching this show. Yeah. And it this is so touching and moving and, and from the little kid up to the grandfather, man, it was just blessed. You know, I, they in Houston. And I, I said, yo, next time I'm in Houston, we meeting up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, man. And, and you know, obviously we appreciate you owning up to that responsibility because you said it perfectly, whether you want it or not, it's going to be there, you know, the same way. And, you know, the same way I mentioned to you, I already liked your show, but I'm going checking your social media to say, okay, what's this guy saying about everything going on? I'm just curious, you know, not that if you were saying, if you had said nothing, I would think of you any differently, but you definitely get points for taking that next step and taking that responsibility. Like I have a platform, I got that blue check, I got to use it, you know? Well, you know, the reality of it is when I'm on Man Fire Food, and this is not all locations, but I tell you mm -hmm. there's been a bunch of locations, <laughs> right? right? Right, right. I go in the nooks and crannies of parts of the South, parts of many states, you can just imagine, right? Yes. Uh, where, the, you know, they're gun-toting and they're living on the, the land of cotton and plantations, right? Right. And the, that mentality, you say you come from the South, that mentality is very, very pervasive still to this very day. And I would have been to many locations where there's pictures of Sambo on the wall, Wow. Um, there's, there's the sheriff would show up every morning and just watch me, you know, just, just peeping <laughs> with the owner, with the owner, you know, right. And there's like some crazy stuff, man. The first time I started coming to America, I uh, was doing a different show. And the first time I ever went to Dallas, this dude rolled up on me. He's, he was trying to impress me. And I, I really don't care. You know, he's trying to tell me, Oh, I know the mayor. I know this, this person. And I'm like, Oh, cool. That's, I'm actually getting mic'd. I'm actually getting mic'd and this guy's spitting at me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. That's, and he went on for a solid 10 minutes and I guess he realized I was not really impressed by his, his trying to impress me. And uh, he started getting a little agitated. So I was like, yo, just cool out. And then he started spitting some stuff about his girlfriend. He's like, yo, look at my girl over there. She looked good, right? And all this. And I go, I'm like, oh, this is getting crazy, right? So I just said, yo, bro, as long as she make you happy every night, that's good on you. Right. The dude stopped. He went like this. He goes, we got guns out here, boy. And he wow. walked out the restaurant. I was like, this dude going to get a gun. I'm in Dallas. <laughs> I told the producer, I'm like, yo, this dude just told me we got guns out here, boy, and ran out the restaurant. I'm like, heads up, you know? So yeah. we, next time we're like peeping out, peeping out. But, you know, now I've learned just to be hypervigilant. I go in locations. Mm -hmm. I always know where there's alternate exits. I park my car in a way that I know that if I got to get out, I get out. Right. Uh, but, but we've changed how we've done the show. We've taken a lot of measures. And um, so it's been a lot better in the last few years because we just, we just, we just hit different with it, you know? Yeah, and also, the further you get into this, the more notoriety you have. So now, maybe at the beginning stages, it's like, oh, man, fire food, and then you show up, they're like, what's going on here now? You have a name. So it's like, okay, man, you know, Roger Mooking's coming, the man, fire food crew is coming as well. So that probably helps also. 
and when we're searching locations, like we have a great team that searches locations, and we've, like I said, put a lot of measures in place to make sure that when I get to a location, it's going to be as safe as possible as we can, vetting over the phone and vetting over what their Instagram feeds are and stuff. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality is, is when we send the, the pitches to the locations, we send clips of the show. So mm -hmm. they know, oh, that's the guy who's coming here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right? So we, we've, we've put little things like that in place and some bigger measures in place that we just, we mitigate that risk because I tell you, bro, it's real. I had a no, dude, yeah. dude, dude tell me you should be swinging from a tree by a rope, you know, like Jeez. just real, real talk, right? Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And even, you know, not even to make light of it, but I could even see in that first season, you're going around and and really nobody know you know nobody knows what the situation is. You don't have any clips, and then you're showing up and you're like, "Hey, uh, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the man. I'm I'm man." The first, the first few seasons, uh, there were. Let's just say, as time went on, we've had less and less incidents. <laughs> right, right. Which is which is progress. We're all about progress right now. Speaking of progress, to kind of pivot a little bit to what is going on. In, in the world, really, this is really, you know, we, we have protests going on everywhere. So I told you a little bit about my background in the pre-show. I grew up in the suburbs, went to private school, and I played baseball. That Black. equals, I have a lot of white friends. Okay, so trying to- I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Trust okay. me, I yeah. do have a lot of white friends. Yes, so, okay, so basically my question to you is, now that they're asking me, hey, how can I be an ally and things of that nature? I hope I'm telling them the right thing, but I'm curious, what are you telling people or what would you tell people? You know, I tell people first, you gotta educate yourself because I think as, as woke as some people may, may be mm -hmm. or believe they may be or perceive they may be or wish they may be, the reality is just, you know, I can't understand what it's like to be a, a woman having a period. I, I can't. Right. I got four daughters. I have a wife. It happens all the time. Yeah. I, I can't relate to it, bro. I just, right. I, right. I can't, right? It's just a fact and it happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it, that's, that's, that's life, right? Right. Well, and I think that that's, there's, but there's a thing called compassion and empathy, right? So if we can place ourselves with a little bit of compassion and empathy and put our feet in another person's brain for a second use our imagination we've been gifted with imagination right mm -hmm. use our imagination to envision 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 those situations but take it one step further right <clears throat> read a book pick up white fragility yeah pick up revolutionary suicide go pick up the compendium of frederick Douglass speeches Go watch some blackish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to start that deep. We can we can get there eventually. No, blackish hits a lot of sh shit, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of shit. You know, right. you see that episode where they talk about the N word. Oh yeah. No, that's real yeah, talk. It bro. really yeah, is. Mm -hmm. And it's a very palatable way for people to enter the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And it's cloaked in jokes, but there's a lot of pain and history and trauma there, right? And, and the reality is that it's a gateway for people to, to have compassion and empathy. That's why I celebrate 
things like that. But go in, dive deep. Don't just understand, oh, wh what is the history behind this? You know, like, okay, so, uh, you know, air conditioning. That was invented by black person. God bless air conditioning. And all them people right. in Texas who want to shoot me up. Yeah. All in the South, they got air conditioning. When right, I go to right. The crib. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, even talking about, you know, when you talk about a Garrett Morgan and the stoplight, these, we have to take it a level deeper than what everybody already knows. I, I like to say on the, that you get during Black History Month on the back of your Happy Meal. You know, we have to go deeper than that. And right now is the time. I mean, if you can't see these videos of George Floyd or listen to this story about Althea Bernstein, the girl who got set on fire at a parking light, mm -hmm. if you can't see these stories, Breonna Taylor, if you hear these stories and you don't have an ounce of compassion in your heart to even think what that must have been like for those people and for their families and for their poor little children that's not going to have a parent coming up because of this institutional situation and racism that's happening that's empowering these people to get away like this if you can't understand that then you know i don't know if there's hope but i'm looking for like the swing voter you know you're talking politics yes, right yes i'm not looking for the person who's way on the other fence because the likelihood of them coming over the fence is really hard Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tackle that swing voter. <laughs> right. That, and I'm not talking politically. I'm talking. Yes, yes. I know exactly what you mean. Right. Is I'm looking for that person who's like, think they, maybe they grew up with some grimy like that, but they've seen the world a little bit now and they realize it's not exactly how their mom and dad taught them. And their this classmate next to them in university is a black woman who's also studying for their PhD. And they're like, but I was taught that they have a bad IQ. Like, right, right, right. right? And it's, it's not the question. It's like, yo, those are the people I'm going at because that's where there's hope, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the kids, you got to just get at the kids and just, vac I say, vaccinate them with love. Mm -hmm. Preempt them with love, right? Right. And yeah, it, there's something to be said about the love aspect of it, but also, and we're about to kind of get into social media activism and how you feel about that. But there's also something to be said when you are a non-person of color and you haven't said anything about the injustices and you're saying, why can't we all just love one another? I get what you're trying to say, but we still need you to admit that there's something going on in that way as well. Okay, so let me break something down to you, right? As much trauma as there is through history, I used to train with this monk, right? Mm -hmm. I learned meditation and Tai Chi, Kung Fu, Qigong, all these different things, like legit, right? right. For years. And, you know, there's a, a pivotal point in my life. This man changed my life straight up, okay? There's a pivotal point in my life where there was a lot of bad stuff going on. And I needed to transform my life for the better. You know, it was nothing illegal activities, nothing like that, but just I needed to improve my life situation. And one day he said to me, I was breaking down to him, right? And he said, Raj, what I'm teaching you, you can change this in a quantum second. <laughs> Yeah. And then he went into this whole thing about quantum physics. This guy's a genius, right? Mm -hmm. He could quote every religious text verbatim, backwards and forward, everyone that I know of, right? Anyways, 
he talks spit science. He's like, you could change this in a quantum second. It's a state of mind. So yes, I agree. We can just decide to all love one another. We could mm-hmm. just do that one day. Yeah. Everybody has to be on that spiritual plane at the same time, but we're not there. Yes. So what we have to do is level up. We have to bring everybody there. And that's where the pain, the history, the struggle, tear down the monument. Why don't tear down the monument? Yes, you should. No, you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah no, that person was shot. No, the cop should have shot him. No, he shouldn't have shot him. All that stuff is, is cumulative until we get to a similar spiritual plane where we can say quantum physics, boom, change it in an instant. But we got to level up to that, right? And uh, that's, that's the circumstance. And it takes a lot of work, man. Anytime there's a a dynamic shift in anything this is physics science religion cooking whatever any dynamic shift in everything is a disruption if i take a cold piece of meat and i put it on a hot grill i'm disrupting the protein structures of the meat to change it into something that's edible edible especially if it's something like chicken that gonna make you sick yeah. We have to disrupt the structure of the protein to turn it from something that'll kill you to something that will nourish you, right? But you got to disrupt it. So right now we're experiencing that disruptive phase. Hopefully we get to level up. Yeah. I mean, wow. We're talking science. We got everything going right now. Again, Roger Mooking, celebrity chef, TV host, and musician joining the Styles Files. So Roger, I talked about it before, or I alluded, I alluded to it, social media activism, right? I, I said that I saw you and what you were doing on social media and I loved it. I loved it because like you said before, it's a responsibility, but it's not a responsibility. It's a responsibility for you in particular, because as we mentioned before, there's not a ton of black representation in the food chef travel world right so i want to ask you because i have my feelings i want to ask you how do you feel about your black and non-black colleagues that haven't been going as hard as you or haven't said anything at all because for me whether you're a chef any type of celebrity chef musician athlete i don't struggle as much with the people that to just stay on brand. Their social media is just simply what they do. They don't really even have pictures, maybe family, but what they do, they don't cross that line. I'm more so struggling with those celebrities that have crossed the line before and have talking about other things on social media besides why they are famous. But now with what's going on, they're silent. So how do you feel about that? Even if I guess they may have reached out to you personally. Like I have friends that haven't posted on social media, but they've checked on me, right? I still kind of consider that silence in a way, but I'm going to stop talking. Please give me your thoughts on that. Okay, so it's two things, right? First of all, me talking is not new. I get a lot of people who are like like LeBron James. They're like, shut up and cook, right? Right, so, right. And they're like, I used to like when you just did this, and now you're talking all this stuff. Facts, I'm not new to talking about this stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, when you look at like what happened, Trayvon Martin, I, I talked about stuff back then when, uh, you know, on my last record, for instance, I had a song called Money on Black. And, and f- f- traditionally, I've always felt that social media is a really bad medium. It's very fragmented. It's very small. So I never felt that it was a broad enough platform to be able to express grand ideas. Right. But here we are. I can't go to the studio. I can't do my craft in the same way. So I'm trapped like everybody inside of their computer and on their phone. Right. So step back one sec. I've always been doing this. Mm-hmm. My last record, I had this song Money on Black. In that record, I say I'm blacker than blackish, but not enough to blacklist. Black enough to know where the bus in the back is and working half working twice as hard to get money after the practice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right? That's bars, by the way. That's bars. Right, right. Um, so I, I've been doing this. I've just reserved it for different mediums for the most part. But if anybody cares to go back, there's albums from 2008. This is there. Like, I got receipts, right? Right. Okay. But to speak on that, I can't speak for another person. You know, I don't know what's motivating them. Maybe they're afraid. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with fear. They're afraid of disrupting their employer. They're afraid of disrupting their opportunities with their existing endorsement deals. They're afraid that it may inhibit their ability to secure new endorsement deals. It may alienate themselves out of a segment of the marketplace. Just straight business, business mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, but I tell you, my, my life has never been about business really it's been about making things i've always just wanted to make things i was the reluctant tv host the only reason i did it is because i was the consultant producer the co-creator the host i did all the music i could control that environment when we put it out falls it's on me if it wins i'm part of that team right right yeah so I, I was never, it, the motivation was never financial. It was always telling a story and bringing people together. So there's still my motivation to this day is bringing people together. Yeah, I got to feed my family. I got a big family. Yeah, I like to have a nice car. All, all those things, right? Yeah. Like who doesn't want those things, if, if, generally speaking, right? But it's what your motivation is. So for me, I don't care if all my endorsement deals leave. It shows me the kind of people they are. Right, right. <laughs> I don't right. care if my broadcaster leaves. And I'll be very frank, my broadcaster's been very supportive of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not just saying that. They communicating with me, they talking, they're very supportive. They're like, yo, we got your back, do your thing, all that thing, right? But mm-hmm. I didn't ask their permission. I just, my motivation has never been that. It's just been spreading love, bro, and sending the message and doing what I believe to be is uh, compassionate, empathetic, and will bring people together. You know, my message is spread love. So if I need to spread love, and part of that is educating people about the reality of the facing the facts of why the world is how it is now for people of color, black people, indigenous people, uh, LGBTQ, everybody, yo, it's not, it's different out here for us, Mm -hmm. man. It's different. It's a different planet and people don't realize. And my, I want to share that so people can hopefully understand that. Hopefully they be compassionate and, and, and say something or, or better yet do something. Right. So I just don't care, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. I just don't care. I, my my first thing is people come to me with deals, offers. It's like, what are the people like? 
who, what are they like? Because if I got to work with them, they're going to pay me or whatever. I'm going to have to work with you. I'm going to have to get on a phone and talk to you. I might have to fly on a plane with you, share a hotel with you. Like, you know, so I'm concerned with what the people are like. And I turned down a lot of deals because I just don't like the people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And maybe that's not smart business, but I sleep really good at night, bro. Mm-hmm. That's all that really matters. It's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. And if I could help create an environment where my kids have a better life and your kids or my neighbor's kids or the, the kids in the Philippines or the kids who hit me from Kenya and Namibia or the people who hit me from Hawaii or the people who hit me from South Africa. If I can contribute one little droplet to that, mm-hmm. my work here is I've, my life has served as per, a good purpose, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, that was that was beautifully said. I want to thank you again for joining. Before I let you get out of here, we got a couple lighter questions to finish out to finish out the interview. Um, it's just been you've just been spitting facts this whole time. And I, I knew you wouldn't disappoint, but you know, as high as expectations I could have, you still found a way to exceed them. So I really want to thank you again for taking this time. I need to ask. Of course, of course. I need to ask, have you been to the Bay Area? If so, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I've been to the Bay Area a couple of times. We hit this restaurant out there. Oh, man. You know, it was actually near, it was closer to the San Francisco area. It was this woman. We made this coconut dish. Uh, outside in the back of her restaurant. I can't remember the name of it, but please go to cooking channel dot uh, cooking channel. Just Google it and check right. it out for man fire food. And you'll see all the episodes. It was a couple seasons ago and it was incredible, man. And you know, Alice Waters is out there too, right? In right. that region, right? So I've been there, Chez Panisse and they do, they do great stuff there too. But you know, the Bay area has got a lot of soul, man. You sway come from the Bay area. That's right. all the soul you need, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I like to talk cause I watch plenty of cooking channel and food network, as I've mentioned, and I've put myself in those positions. I wouldn't consider myself a picky eater, but there are things that I don't like. I know man fire food. Most of the time it's barbecue esque. But even so, man's greatest food, things like that. What is a food that you secretly don't like? But if you come across it on the show, that's where the acting comes in. No, okay. So by the time we get something that's on the show, the mm-hmm. crew is really good. At the end of the day, if I love it, it's going to show on camera. Right, right. So the crew knows me. I've been with this crew for years. The producer knows me, Irene Wong, the executive producer. The mm-hmm. team knows what I like and I don't like. And so they kind of do a real, they do a really good job of making sure that by the time I show up there, I'm going to like it. And plus right. I vet every location. I'm like the final vet of the location, really. Got right? it. So it's like, if I'm like not feeling that, I tell them, yo, Mm, not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, we so they, they do a really good job of making sure that we showcase. And in the last few years, you'll notice we showcase a lot more global cuisine in America, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see a Hawaiian influence in Hawaii or in America. You'll see we go to Puerto Rico, which is part of America, people, if you don't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. We go to, uh, we just shot some stuff with a, um, a, a Thai, a Thai woman who was, uh, 
uh, married to a dude out there in Austin and they, we did some great Thai food. And so you, you see a lot more of that because people have been cooking over live fire for hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It spread the globe and every culture has their tradition. So we want to try and showcase as much of that tradition as possible. So it never get yeah, it never gets to a situation where you're there and hey, our signature dishes, and you're like, oh no, 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 no. Not anymore. I mean, earlier that, but not, it just is a learning curve because they need to know what I'm into, you know, what I like, what what the vibe is. And exactly. you know, and I'm broad. Like I eat everything from I eat everything pretty much, bro. You know, I've eaten right. in Peru, I've eaten guinea pig, I've eaten all all kinds. All right. Kinds. Right, you know, you name from every cuisine and corner of the world. I travel all over the world, and very fortunate I'm able to try all kinds of things. Right, so um, yeah, man, it's just it's a it's a blessing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a little birdie told me that you basically have a saying that you have never cooked the same thing twice. And when I saw that, when I read it, I thought that to be interesting because I didn't know if that was a kind of a catchphrase like on Twitter in my bio I say I'm the perfect combination of East Coast and West Coast I don't know that I'm <laughs> the perfect combination of East Coast and West Coast I just say it so have you actually never cooked the same thing twice okay so here's the here's the yes yes and no let me break it down right mm -hmm. for instance I make pancakes I make pancakes all the time my kids mm -hmm. love pancakes it's very simple but I change it up right sometimes I use butter Sometimes I use ghee that has it infused with vanilla. Right. Sometimes I'll use whole wheat flour with all-purpose flour. Sometimes I'll throw a little cornmeal in there to see what that's like. Sometimes I'll add more eggs than I would normally. So I'm always just experimenting little things. And I tell them, they, they know now. If they, I cook something they love, mm -hmm. it's never going to be like that again. So Dang. enjoy it now. It's going to come out a little different. Like I just made some, some curry, curry lamb, right? I never made curry lamb in quite this way that I've ever made it before, but it tastes really nice inside of my roti. You know what I mean? So I'm always experimenting, man. And uh, yeah, the kids know they like it. They better what, about, what about on a birthday? Hey, it, it's, it's, it's my birthday. I, you know, I like this dish. They're still going to get a variation of it. Yeah, and sometimes it's not dramatic, right? Like right, the other day right. I had a kid's birthday and they wanted pizza for their birthday. I got a pizza oven in the back. We did mm -hmm. the pizza. So I did the dough a little bit different, you know? And I made the same dough, but instead of letting it rest uh, 24 hours, I let it rest 48 hours. Right. So the fermentation is a little bit more sour and tangy and the flavor is different. The dough is a little bit more soft and supple. So just little things like that sometimes, you know what I mean? It doesn't have yeah. to be a dramatic thing. So they, to them, it's like, it's still very much the same thing, but me, I know it's, it's quite different. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. You're still experimenting on some, on some level. Now, if you come to my restaurant, it's different. If you come to my restaurant in the airport, that pancake is going to be exactly the same every time. A restaurant, sure. the fried chicken is going to be exactly the same every time, you know, because that's that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. But me personally at home or with family and friends and or hanging out with new people, it's just I'm always playing, man. This is what I do. I just I love to do this and I just love to experiment. And that's what I love about food and music. Food, I will never, ever learn everything there is about food in one single lifetime. Right. right. If I was an accountant, there's a debit, there's a credit. Uh, maybe there's a financial instrument that's a little different, but you still got to post it as a debit and a credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
right? Uh, food, man, is just never ending, and it's just magical. The music is like that too. I could write the same song over the same sentiment in a song over and over and write it 600 different word structure, chord composition, arrangements, production, mixing is never ending. And that's mm -hmm. what I love about food and music, you know? Yeah, so to close it out, speaking of music, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. Let's talk a little bit about your newest album, Eat Your Words, it was in 2019. Why don't you kind of give us a lay of the land on what you wanted to do in that album what's the vibe if, if so speak like someone only knows you as the chef what what are they going to get from you on this album well it's definitely decidedly a hip-hop album but it's, it's a very musical hip-hop album right so i'm drawing reference from reggae folk P-Funk, uh, musical arrangement, Simon and Garfunkel. I'm drawing from all kinds of different sensibilities. Some are based around a piano, some are based around a guitar, some are based around a drum machine, some are samples that we've created in the studio and then resampled ourselves, kind of like uh, Beastie Boys Paul Boutique style mm -hmm. uh, or Bomb Squad style, you know? So it's all of those things. And I just touch on all types of topics, man. There's a song in there called Live from the Barbecue which kind of harkens back to live at the barbecue from main source. They told you the good stuff that happens at the barbecue on my version. I tell you the not so good stuff that happens when I go to a barbecue sometimes, you know, Yeah. or I spit like money on black. Like I was saying, you know, to you earlier, blacker than blackish, not enough to blacklist black enough to know where the bus in the back is and getting half as far. I mean, practicing after the practice. <laughs> right. 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 I, I, I need to listen just to hear that bar alone. Yeah, there's some, I'm not gonna lie, there's some nice bars, but the music is beautiful, bro. You know, produced, wrote, played a lot of instruments in it with me and a, my homie Jeff in the studio. It's two people in the studio who just love music. We had no record company who was on our back telling us nothing. I always create in a bubble. My managers yeah. didn't even know I was making this album. Yeah. I handed it to them on rough board mixes, say, yo, this is done, I just gotta mix it. They're like, when do you have, because they know my schedule. They're yeah. like, when do you have time to do this even? I'm like, I will always make time to do that, my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's a very kaleidoscopic album. It's a very musical album. If you love music, if you love all kinds of music, if you love Run the Jewels, Public Enemy, Ice Cube, St. John, you love uh, Busta Rhymes, you like, you like the music, man. It's just, just great, good music, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've listened to some of it. I can't wait. To listen to the rest again roger mooking thank you for taking the time i i truly truly mean it and the next time you're in the bay area you got to let me know we'll link up or i've never been to canada before so if i'm out there i'm definitely going to be hitting you up as well um yeah. i'll hit your if and if we can't link up i'll definitely go to your restaurant in the airport at the very least because you we're. alluded to some fried chicken and some pretty good <laughs> plates that i might have to try for sure yeah, respect. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, man. Okay, dog.